I guess the show is happening. We're kind of in it already. And it don't stop. It just doesn't stop. Yeah. It captures the listeners from the get-go. Alright, uh, this show has a very ambiguous name. Uh, so I should probably mention that in that tech show, we talk about technology stuff. Uh, <laughs> this is Simon. Um, Rob Forbes is back from the ship. Hello, Rob. Hello, Simon. Apologies for missing Monday, but I was... Um Unable to get off the boat in Durban in time to record anything, and also no conditions to record anything, so maybe for the best. Tell us more, Rob. Why were you in no condition to record? Um, because we had been drinking from about lunchtime on Friday until about <laughs> 3 o'clock in the morning on Monday. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's real. So productive. <laughs> yeah, so we productive. Were in that state. Yeah, the man capturing the listens from the get-go <laughs> is Ad- yeah. Adile Masuku. <laughs> Andile, thanks for joining oh, us. No, we don't play. You don't. You don't Thank you mess for having around. me. Yeah, it's. Uh, yeah, we, we take our it's chances. It's an absolute pleasure to have you. <laughs> well, thank you Andile, very much. And um, yeah, Andile is the host of uh, African Tech Roundup. That's your podcast that snuck its way into our podcast just before we started recording. Um, <laughs> it auto yeah, plays on your yeah. website. So um, straight up and down, we're still going out to Africa and the rest of the world every week. Uh, usually a Monday, sometimes a Tuesday, um, but um, always happening. AfricanTechRoundup.com. Check it out. Nice. You also do some, did you still do any TV work, Andila? You're like a busy guy. Tell us more about the other stuff you do. Well, yeah, I, yeah, broadcasting kind of covers everything. Um, podcasting at this point in my career is taking up most of my time. Uh, it's turning into um, a commercial endeavor, thankfully. And uh, I still do quite a bit of, of voiceover work. That's probably what enabled me to get into podcasting in the first place because um, it's by far the most lucrative thing I do in, in media, mm-hmm. uh, pound for pound, hour for hour. And um, yeah, I still I still do you know work in television, in front of the camera, behind the camera. Uh, I, I sit in uh, creative teams at agency level, at client level, concepts, uh, concept development, um, I commentate on, on on technology issues on television. I do the odd ad. I get cast in things, um, mm-hmm. and of course, I, I I write and direct. Depending what I you know you know what comes up, I I, I do a little bit of that as well. Mm. It's always nice to hear podcasters making uh, money. <laughs> it can be done. Hey, <laughs> hey, it's it's been. Uh, I mean, what the African Tech Roundup is going on two years. We two years in March. Oh, congrats. And um, yeah, I, I, thank you very much. And really, it's, it, it only started making money probably a year into it. Yeah. A year into it, it became a commercial thing. And now the opportunities are starting to flow. Nice. Our biggest audience is actually out, is actually the US. So our biggest, uh, cumulatively, our, our, our biggest uh, two thirds of our audience is actually outside of the continent. Mm. So that's opened up opportunities we didn't expect. Um, we thought, you know, locally it would be a thing, but um, it's turned out uh, most of our opportunities and our monetizing uh, and, and the, then our sort of opportunities to monetize have been, a, you know, from abroad, which is great. Love it. And interesting. Rob and I have been doing broadcasting for the better part of two decades and we're yet to make a damn cent from it, right, Rob? Yep. Nothing at all. I don't know why we. <laughs> well, that's that. because you guys make decent sheets, like in the traditional uh, broadcasting industry. In the case of Rob, and as for you, 
<laughs> Simon, you you do plenty in the startup space, so yeah, yeah. no. I'm being, I'm also leave, being entirely this, facetious. Leave, this, leave the pennies to us, please. Leave the pennies to us. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I I used to, I, you know, I used to host a show called the ZA Tech Show, which was very similar to this, and by very similar, I mean almost exactly the same. But <laughs> but uh, but we made some money from so that. So original. And, yeah, yeah. And then other podcasts that I just refuse to monetize. You know, uh, my friend Sam and I do Take Back the Day, and we've been approached by advertisers for oh, that, yeah. but they weren't products that I believed in. So I was like, nah, sorry, not going to let it happen. You know, that's, that's an interesting thing you talk about because, I mean, it's also um, uh, uh, people don't realize that the, when, you, when you're sort of serious about commercializing podcasting, you, uh, especially when you own the platform, uh, it's about building a community and monetizing the community and the integrity of what you bring to that community and the, the relationship you have with it is probably the most valuable aspect of what you have. So, yeah, I mean, a, a couple of grand here and there, um, you know, in order to, you know, to, to slap someone's dodgy company or attach someone's dodgy company to what you're doing. Yeah. It isn't worthwhile in the, in the long run. It's certainly not the view you want to take if you want to build something that's going to last. Yep. Not on my podcast. I won't have it. It's uh, it's true. Yeah. And and also, you know, listeners aren't fools. They can hear when you aren't into something. Firstly, um, yeah, of course. You know, and so, and secondly, like yeah. I'm not going to run ads for phones that exploded your pants or disgusting yeah. online services that are just looking to capture wow. as many users as possible. Wow, so <laughs> so subtle, Simon. So subtle. Like who who could he possibly be talking about? No shame. I I would run. Yeah, let's not even go there. <laughs> let's just move the fuck okay. on but you know speaking of move swiftly along <laughs> but speaking of uh, of money the bitcoin price is at a two-year high um sure i know it's uh and you're loving it of course it's good time do you do you hold any cryptocurrency on are you a, are you a bitcoin guy no um actually not do, do you know that i'm not uh um i'm not uh, an early adopter i'm actually um atypical in that respect for someone who you know <laughs> spends as much time covering tech i actually yeah i i don't know i'm a, I'm a wait and see kind of guy okay which is the mm. the right way to play it with cryptocurrency but yeah i mean the, the i think so the all-time high for bitcoin was i think 2014 when it hit the the famous thousand uh, dollar limit and then went a little bit beyond it and then it came tumbling all the way down to like 200 dollars again and even lower at one point i think uh, yeah. and now it's back up i checked yeah. this morning i think we're sitting at 760 dollars 735. Oh, sure. Well, it was 735 last night. 760 now just goes to show. Yeah. And do you guys hold any? Do you guys hold any? Like, um, and how closely do you track the, 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 the index? Well, I, how, how, how close do you? I put Simon Dingle's Bitcoin wallet on my phone um, about a year and a half ago <laughs> while we were having a beer. And Simon very kindly mm-hmm. sent me 50 bucks to show me how it works. And that 50 bucks is now worth 140 bucks. So I should have bought some <laughs> wow. at the time. At, no, when, at wow. the time, I was looking at it and it was like 290, 300 odd dollars. And I thought, ooh, it was 100 recently. When it comes back down, I'll buy mm-hmm. some. And now it's just been, I've been watching it go up for more than a year now. And now it's sitting 760 so on. So the next time it crashes, I'm getting in for sure because I should have done so <laughs> ages ago. If there's a next and time. I have a question for you, Simon, is that, um, you know, the. Uh, you know, with, uh, I think, uh, is it Tunisia, Algeria? No, I'm not going to f- remember. But, um, oh, yeah. Is it Ivory Coast? I think Ivory Coast just recently became uh, one of the latest uh, countries in the world to actually launch an e-currency alongside their you know, national currency. Mm. What do things like that do to affect the, the value of Bitcoin? And, and where, do, where do people who have an interest in Bitcoin 
see those kind of developments so it's 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 very interesting times for that because there's this idea of a sovereign blockchain emerging eventually where we'll have a government that goes and and we've seen come some come close ecuador is one example and the idea is that a government will go you know what we we used to have the gold standard now we've kind of got the bullshit standard (laughs) but but the blockchain presents a new opportunity for a central banking system to underpin a fiat currency with a blockchain um and i think that's where we're headed i think we're going to see sovereign blockchains and my personal belief is that we'll see a convergence of those sovereign blockchains into like a single reserve currency for the globe but the interesting thing is you kind of got this two-tiered economy merging where while that's certainly going to happen on the one hand i think on the other hand bitcoin's not going away um and bitcoin by design um will will grow slowly and systematically and by the time it's so big that regulators have to worry about it it'll be too big for them to do anything about it and if you want an example of how that works you just have to look at content right um the way that the way that piracy emerged with napster etc etc in the 90s i mean you guys won't know anything about this but people used to download movies and tv shows and music that they didn't pay for hey, i hey, mean it's hey, disgusting but what that's true it's no true. no one ever this happened what guys. who would do such a thing yeah, exactly. But then the regulators found out and they made it illegal. So everybody stopped doing it, you know. Yeah, no, that's, the power, cr- that's the power of regulation. People are good people. <laughs> Fundamentally in their hearts, they're good people. They want to pay content providers for their content. But they've spent hours and years developing their craft and their skill and the man hours they poured in. They want to make sure that they get fairly compensated for all of that hard work. Exactly. But, but my point is that, you know, it's, irrespective of what, of what central banks and countries do with uh, blockchain technology and their own currencies, Bitcoin's not going away. Um, so you, I yeah. think you'll see this two-tier economy emerging, Andile, to your question, where you'll have, you'll have uh, you know, very likely our friends uh, just next door in Zimbabwe, for example, um, if, if, if not just going, hey, let's add Bitcoin to our currency pool because they don't. Zim kind of doesn't have an official currency at the moment. It's like you can use dollars, no, you can doesn't use have rand a currency at the moment, and no, you can use something like eight or six to eight currencies that are all legal tender, so you can sort of transact in them. Look on the street, it's pretty much the dollar and the rand. I've lost you guys. Where you at? Now we here. We here. We listening. I'm still here. So I'm listening. Okay, cool. Listening. Yeah. With great so on interest. the on the street, it's pretty much. On the street, it's pretty much the dollar and and the rand. Um, but uh, the dollar's preferred. I mean, when you when you trade in the rand on the street, you you pretty much um, uh, lose value. So even when I go and visit, I'll be in Zim next week. Uh, I'll be trying to convert as much of my rands into dollars before I go because I'll get more bang for buck. But um, yeah, I mean, the argument's been for a while that Zimbabwe is probably the best use case on the continent, if not the world, for how Bitcoin could flip things around. But I, I think the sovereignty issues uh, 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 are probably what the, what's keeping the, the government there from, from adopting it wholeheartedly. I think what Senegal, it's actually Senegal, not uh, Ivory Coast, Senegal and, and Tunisia. What Senegal and Tunis, Tunisia have been doing, I think, is probably the direction Zimbabwe might prefer to go, except that they don't have... A currency to align with you know <laughs> yeah yeah yeah. but it's, it's a fascinating um, microcosm of 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 what could happen in the you know the global economy if you if you look at a place like zim and of course you know mobile money is becoming a thing in zim as well um sure you, you, it is it is it is everything i don't know oh yeah it's all that well tell us it's, more so you everything so you've got you've got you the, i don't is impesa in zim i don't think they are but you've got the echo net wireless um uh system yeah, it's called eco cash there yeah. 
So, I mean, people talk about Mpesa a lot, but um, I, people don't. Uh, I, I guess people haven't been exposed to how pervasive something like EcoCash is. I know the other mobile telcos um, in Zimbabwe also have their versions of it, but EcoCash is pretty much. Uh, you know the Zimbabwean version of Mpesa, if not more pervasive. I, you know, just because, um, in fact, so pervasive, in fact, that uh, Econet ha- had rolled out a bank. Uh, it's called Steward Bank, um, and, and off the back of the success of EcoCash, you know, so it's it's a massive thing. There are Econet vendors everywhere. You can pretty much pay for anything uh, in EcoCash. There's an EcoCash number. Econet vendors on every corner. Every store accepts it. You can transfer money. And it's not free. So they're making a, a busload of money uh, in terms of like the service fees they charge people to transfer money or receive it. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a classic case of like convenience beats uh, price. You know, it's if, if, if it works really well, and I suppose to a degree uh, when you have no other choice, <laughs> then all of a sudden the, fee, the yes. fee discussion dies down. That's the thing about Zim as well. Like, I, like it's, the hot, it's a hotbed for true innovation. When I, and I use... I don't use the word innovation loosely. I mean, in, you know, in more developed markets in the States for, you know, Pokemon Go is an innovation, you know, which is good. <laughs> and I'm not saying I'm not knocking it. But in Zim, it's sort of like, how do I pay for my parents' uh, medical uh, bill at their local pharmacy in Harare while I'm sitting in London? Like, that's a problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, how do I how do I do that? And, uh, hey, maybe, you know, a pharmacy could use WhatsApp, which they do. And, I mean, so that to me is, is uh, you know, a really simple, a pr- pretty, pretty tried example of how in Zim, like, that's how people think in terms of trying to solve problems with technology. Absolutely. It, it really isn't, um, uh, you know, driven by, uh, you know, a desire to, like, have something new or the next new thing or just, you know, just be cool for the sake of it. It's like, how do we, how do I make sure that I can transfer rands to my family? Mm. Now that there's a, there's a currency issue, the bond notes haven't been accepted as as well as they, as they, as the government hoped. There's a shortage of them. The banks aren't rolling out as much as they did. Some retailers are repu- reportedly not accepting them. Um, how do we get people using the rands they do have and transferring that, um, you know, to alleviate that crisis? Hey, let's um, let's uh, let Econet um, allow you know rand exchange using this EcoCash platform that's you know only up till now allowed dollars. You know, so that's the kind of thinking that drives innovation in Zimbabwe. Yeah, pure necessity. And I mean, that's really yeah, pure necessity. That, for me, you know, in, innovation has a, d- a dictionary definition. So I don't know why there's so much deliberation about what it means to different people. But, <laughs> but, but for me, an important mm. component of it is efficiency. And it's about taking steps out of a process as well. So, you know, if you, are, if you, aren't, if you aren't disintermediating something, <laughs> it's like, is this really innovation? And when you look at, 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 at the kind of use cases that you've presented – um, it, it de facto takes out middlemen, right? Because if I want to send money to my family in Zim, I'm going to start looking for the ways to do it that are cheaper than the conventional kind of, you know, bank methods, moneygrams, etc. And it leads me, you know, yeah. on a path that ends with like a Bitcoin where it's a direct peer-to-peer transaction. Do you have any idea how yeah. big Bitcoin is in Zim? Is it like taking off? Is there an awareness growing or is it still kind of nowhere? It's pretty much nowhere. Um, look, I interviewed, and I'm uh, I'm embarrassed to say I've forgotten his name. Uh, I'll I'll find his name, but um, he's a massive proponent for for Bitcoin. He's Laurie Gamaroff, maybe. He's, 
Um, no, actually. Because uh, <laughs> okay. I know Lorian's no. been doing uh, some work in Zim. Lorian of Banky Moon. Um, he's been doing some work in, in Zimbabwe in terms of, uh, you know, just, just, I suppose it's purely education right now, trying to teach people about Bitcoin. But they've got like metering solutions where you can buy prepaid electricity or airtime, etc. with Bitcoin. Well, listen, anyway. um, it, if you're talking about a guy who travels a lot all over the world and keeps talking about Bitcoin, he sure is not Simon Dingle. <laughs> <laughs> pretty much <laughs> yeah. Simon you sure you're not talking about yourself no it's not me <laughs> is it you Simon so, oh no tis not no, I no. tis not I Listen, but I'm surprised yeah, gotta... I sorry have a... oh yes Tawanda Kembo his name is Tawanda Kembo actually and um, oh, yeah, he's a co-founder of... you've met Tawanda yeah we yeah, were on a panel Finance, together and I mean mm. oh dude that's probably the first time I met you you two were in the room I think anyway, that's right probably um, was and I mean Tawanda's yeah, and Tawanda's just, um, he's a huge proponent for, for Bitcoin and how it's, it, uh, I mean, he, he's got an interesting setup. He's based in Zimbabwe. He's got family all over the, 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 the I mean, so his motivations were really driven by that, the necessity for, uh, uh, you know, by necessity as well, where his family's living abroad, um, trying to transfer uh, money, you know, money's being sent from England and South Africa, wherever else his family is and back and forth. And he's like, this is ridiculous. Like the amount of money in his family alone wasted on the inefficiencies you know, surrender. You know, you know, surrendered basically to the intermediaries, and he's like, "Man, Bitcoin could fix all this." And 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 in speaking to him, I know, for example, the the political will around adopting Bitcoin. I think that it's the the government's not all the way, and the Reserve Bank is they're not all the way there in terms of understanding or surrendering what they might perceive as sort of power, uh, currency control, or uh, currency exchange control power yeah, yeah. to really what. A, a, a truly free market and i don't know that if that serves anybody politically or otherwise in any country at this point yeah that's a very good point and Here's also my Bitcoin you know, I, question mm-hmm. i just wanted to jump in here and ask go back through all the finance systems that we've had and you touched on earlier that there was the standard with the gold stuff where someone would keep a lot of gold in a room and then you would have your share of it in that room and then we said that must fuck off and now we have banks who actually you know i went last week and i handed over real cash money that i got from a gig put it into my accounts so i know they have my money how do you convince the public that your bitcoin is safe and i mean i I know how it works and i know all those backends, if we sit in this discussion and talk about it, we'll know things will be okay. How do you convince Joe Public, Joe Average, that this digital thing is actually safe and that people won't be able to break it or hack it? Or, I mean, I think that awareness for the average population is going to be a hell of an education process. It, it, it sure as heck will be. Sorry, guys, I must apologize. I, I don't like the caretakers decided to start weed whacking. Um and and I thought he, he he started a while ago and then yeah so if it just I if can't hear buzz, it I'm sorry I'm to you listeners we're all good I hear no I hear no weeds being whacked <laughs> oh good oh good oh good that's the fun that's, that's the fun with podcasting though, I mean you hear the trains that- going by and the airplanes and the- <laughs> imagine so professional <laughs> right. <laughs> It's what it is, though. It is what it is. It's it's gangster. But I mean, that's a great question Rob's asking. I mean, especially in this, I mean, everything from the British Lotto to Yahoo to to the New York Times to 
blessed countries and you know government departments in the case of South Africa and other things everything's getting hacked now mobile wallets are getting hacked bitcoin exchanges get hacked how do we convince people that this I mean, how do we convince people that this thing is, <laughs> is legit? Not just worth. Yeah, I mean, how, how do you tell me if I, for example, yeah. took a job where my salary gets paid in Bitcoin, so I never see any actual money? Sure. You know, I just rely yeah. on the fact that this stuff is, in theory, there. How do I? Well, I mean, you you trust you your know? bank with that kind of arrangement at the moment, right? Your yeah. your your bank yeah. ledger balance isn't isn't like a physical object that's stored no, somewhere. For sure, I, I I hear you, but there there's still the the perception in the minds of normal people that yeah. Yeah. I've gone there and given them my money, so I know they have it. Whereas Bitcoin, well, even that will go away. Well, here's the answer, right? Can I take that even a step further? Mm-hmm. Can I take that a step further? What Rob is saying, because I mean, we went through that. Um, uh, when the Zim dollar crashed, remember it was devalued and etc. Then overnight, the Reserve Bank basically just wiped its value, uh, adopted the US dollar. Overnight, um, people who had uh, basically entrusted, oh, well, uh, pinned their hopes on a, a value, well, it pinned any sort of trust, put any sort of trust in terms of value mm-hmm. on the Zim dollar, realized very quickly that it was arbitrary. And yeah. that overnight it could be erased, you know. So, and 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 I suppose that's the question: like, c- could that be true of Bitcoin at some point or not? So it's interesting because you know when I started out building technologies, I I was kind of young and immature, and I thought that if a technology was demonstrably better than what had come before, people would just use it because it's a no-brainer. You know, it's like obviously this thing's yeah. better than that thing, so I'm going to use it, and. Yeah. And I learned very quickly from building my own products and trying to launch them that that's absolutely not how the world works. There's that, that famous Malcolm Gladwell um, uh, quote where he says, uh, the world as much as we'd like it to does not accord with our intuition. I'm probably butchering the quote, but it's something along those lines. And um, and so I realized that it's all about the story you tell. It's about the narrative. Um, and I realized that if I wanted to do this properly, it, 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 I would have to stop fixating on the technology and I would have to become an anthropologist first and foremost. And so, you know, that's yeah. something Tom Kelly, uh, one of the, the Kelly brothers who founded IDEO in San Francisco, you know, some of my heroes, he talks about that a lot in his books like The Ten Faces of Innovation. You know, um, you, you don't you, if you want to effect a change in society, you're not just going to do it with the tools. You need to understand the, the, the mindset and the psyche. And a nice a nice distillation of like, you know, anthropology and, and our history as a species um, is, is a recent book called Sapiens by Yuval uh, Harari. Yuval Noah Harari is, is the author's name. And um, he's just actually done the follow-up, Homo Deus. But he talks about our evolution and, and not to deliberate on it too much, but, you know, for example, he talks about how we overcame other um, human species like Erectus and, um, and Neanderthals. An interesting thing is Neanderthals were, were not only bigger and stronger than us physically, they also had bigger brains. So they were probably smarter than us too. So if you got into a street fight with a, a Neanderthal, he would have, you know, she would have killed you, but they would have also beat you at chess probably. So how, why did sapiens manage to overcome like Neanderthal? And the answer is that, well, this is the leading hypothesis, is that we were able to 
through language, tell stories about things that didn't exist. And because we were able to do that, we could organize in bigger units than the other apes who could only gather between maximum about 100 individuals in a group before you'd come up against what's known as Dunbar's number, where it's like, I can't, you know, you, you can't actually remember more than 100 people's names and faces or 100 individuals. And so we were able to effectively lie, <laughs> make up myths and stories, right? And, you know, we would make up stories about the juju that lives under the ocean that's going to come and kill us all if we don't A, B, and C or, you know. <laughs> and we invented gods and demons and ways of getting a story going so that if I met another human, as long as, as she knew the same story I knew, we had a common ideology we could organize around. And that's, that's, that's humanity. Like banks, uh, companies, governments, nations, years and months, these are all myths that we make up. These are all stories we tell each other and it's a big game we play. And money is, a, is, is probably secondary only to language in that game, right? The two, uh, the two tools we have to play this game are language and money. And, and so I realized that just coming up with a better kind of money from a purely rational technological standpoint, that's not going to get you anywhere. You need to be able to tell a better story about that money, right? And that's when you get society moving in a direction. And I think the interesting thing with like a Bitcoin is whoever, I, I don't know who Satoshi Nakamoto is, but whoever that human being or group of human beings was, very astutely understood that if they just launched a very cool technology, it would get the hype would just get blown out overnight. Um, governments would do something about it and it would disappear. So instead, they created something that through its the very algorithms that govern the network kind of rolls out slowly and subtly and makes its way into the human story um, so that those aha moments happen and we start telling each other about it and we start building a narrative with a technology that's kind of very slowly working its way through the hype curve. And, and so to my point earlier, by the time it's, it's sure, that, big enough that, yeah. that to, to like be a real thing, it'll be too big for the powers that be to say, well, this isn't part of our story. Sorry, that was, that was a bit of a, um, <laughs> no, that's very interesting. Look, and I'm glad. I, I I love how you you prefaced well. You prefaced that by saying hypothesis, because as part of the hypothesis, I don't I don't agree with. I I, I like where you ended up, um, because I think it's true. I mean, uh, I've I've had to be become humble to the fact that if um, if uh, flasher, better, faster, newer was where you know we inherently gravitate to as a society. Um, lots of companies shouldn't exist on principle, you know. Um, but I had an argument with a, or a, a debate with a with a, a tech editor recently um, who who was sort of he, he's very sort of um, uh, down on telecom and he's anti the the positive sentiments that are coming out about the company because of their results lately and everything. Else. I said I feel like the pragmatic view when it comes to telecom and how well they seem to be doing right now is um, they're a market leader by default and. Any other view is is not pragmatic. They're slow. They're boring. They're behind the times. They've got tons of legacy infrastructure they don't know what to do with. That's probably not going to be useful in another 10 years. And of course, if they don't innovate fast enough, long enough, they will die. But they are a market leader nonetheless. And I see... Um, and I see our sort of uh, corporate acceptance of, of technology and innovation in general being driven by pragmatic issues or pragmatic mindsets in, in that regard. I mean, we, we don't simply trust because, uh, you know, we like it or because something's better. It's because we kind of have to. In Zimbabwe, EcoCash works because it kind of has to. You get what I'm saying? It's, we, sure. we haven't really stopped to think 
what would happen if Econet went under? Do you get what I'm saying? We haven't really stopped to think about uh, what would happen if, um, hey, they woke up one morning and said, we were just joking. None of this is real. Um, we just kind of have to believe that it is. You know? But so, so I, yeah, so I, I don't think I'm disagreeing with you. Um, you know, it, it is purely pragmatic. And I think there's a lot of pontification about how these things work in the Western world and in the developed world, rather. I shouldn't say the Western world because a lot of the Western world isn't developed. But, <laughs> but, um, but then, you know, you, you go to a place like Zim where people are dealing with very real issues on the ground and you're right. It's, it's, it's decisions taken purely from necessity and, and pragmatism. But if you were to go and tell a better story about money in Zimbabwe, about about empowerment, about um, exclusion, because that's really what the banking system is right now. It's exclusionary. There's a there's you know, there are vast demographics of people that the current banking system does not want because it doesn't deem them valuable enough, etc. Um, I, I, the hope I have is that instead of people being led by an Econet or a government or a central bank or and it looking like there's no other choice, I'm hoping somebody gotcha. manages to spread the message and the story that, guys, you could take control of this yourself. This is a game we are playing. You know, you're agreeing to let the government tell you what legal tender is. But that's your decision. And I think, you know, this... Whoa, that is so next level. But, but, like, whoa. But that's, is that our lifetime even? Yeah, dude. <laughs> but, but you know what I'm saying? Like, I think yeah, there's this idea that the government's in charge. And this is a very, this is a very um, a third world thing as well. Is There's this idea that, that somebody's in charge and they, it's their job to sort stuff out. And I'm actually, I don't have any power, you know. Uh, whereas uh, democracy is based on on the power of the people it's the people decide who's going to do this stuff and the people are going to decide how it's going to work and if the government does something the people don't like the people rise up and they change it because that's not cool you know and unfortunately like and i don't want to get into a political discussion about how democracy has backfired in a spectacular way in the usa etc <laughs> but you know yeah i was gonna say like the, <laughs> the 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 sort of poster child for democracy is proving that um yeah democracy pretty much doesn't exist anyway <laughs> but but let's take the political discussion off the table and let's not call it democracy yeah i think we can all agree yeah. that people are have more control than they assume and it would be nice that's to true. see in a country that's, that's run true. by a despot <laughs> more people going you know what why are we putting up with this dude he's one guy and yeah he's got 50 cronies protecting him but we're like millions of people if we want to change this we're going to change it and there's nothing they can do about it we're going to use bitcoin you'll deal with it right and you can't come and arrest yeah. and kill us all because we are we're a stronger force than you are yeah yeah well again this again the prag the pragmatic side of me has to be like um that's all nice. <laughs> That's all nice, Mr. Dingle. But um... <laughs> all right, you know what? Yeah, but I, I totally take your point. I mean, yeah, it's it's a very idealistic position to take. But um, I totally take your point. Um, but the pragmatic side of me is kind of like um, most people in Zim, and I can speak for Zim specifically. People just want to people just want to live and 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 carry on. And uh, I think everyone's past sort of wanting to die for stuff. And no, and, and, I, and, and I hear and I you, know man. that sounds like a. It sounds so lame. No, it's not I mean, lame. Really, it's not lame. No one's, no one's about to die uh, for, for for Bitcoin, yeah, yeah. for example. You know, what I'm no one's about to. Yeah, we just kind of want to put our kids through school and you know get the farm working. Hope it rains. You know, dude, I, I hear you, man. And you know what? It's also easy. Yeah, it's it's also easy for us to sit here in South Africa. Um, you know, uh, as 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 fairly affluent people by world standards, and 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 
pontificate yeah. about you know what what people we actually know nothing about should be doing. So I am wary of that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know what? Let's no, but it's, but it's great. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's I, the the I I'm I'm stimulated by the 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 idealism in your in your in your argument. It's great. Okay. Well, <laughs> we got that. All right, but you know what? Let's let's bring it all the way back down to ground because we wanted to talk about the new anti-terrorism collective between Facebook and Twitter and Google um, about uh, about what YouTube is paying musicians about data must fall. But I think we yeah. need to take a break and talk about something purely geeky like full windows coming something to light. a phone near you. <laughs> Microsoft coming of course, to a phone near you. Yeah, Microsoft Are and you Qualcomm have, have, have uh, hooked up, and Microsoft has given us a hint that Windows 10, full Windows 10 is coming to phones of course they've already got this system called continuum uh with some of the windows phone devices where you can essentially plug it into a screen and keyboard and you're carrying around a pc in your pocket um and i don't think anybody doubts that that is where computing is going but um Mm -hmm. but it's uh it's interesting seeing microsoft take this this very firm stance with qualcomm about the future of of processing on arm processors um And, and again, I, that excites me for, you know, markets like those in Africa where it's mobile first from the get-go anyway. And, um, you know, for a lot of people today, the mobile phone is their only computer, never mind their secondary computer or even their primary computer. It's just the only one. So let me ask the devil's advocate obvious stupid questions around this topic then. One, why would I need full windows on a phone? Um, if I'm not going to, if a phone is not the right device to interface with certain full Windows things. I mean, it'll be a pain in the ass to run a full Windows version, open up PowerPoint and try and make a presentation on a five-inch screen. So why are they doing this, firstly? Um, and how's it going to benefit those of us who have normal phones and apps and stuff? Yeah, so... it's a really good question. I think, you know, it's going to be a... Um, you're going to have the apps that you run on Windows if the developers have done their job properly, scaling down responsively to the mobile uh, form factor. So the idea is that when you run to your example of PowerPoint on one of these devices, it'll be the mobile version of PowerPoint in presentation. But when you then go to your TV screen in the lounge and you're sitting with this device connected through whatever you have in your lounge to make that happen and you bring it up on the big screen, it's full-blown PowerPoint for that resolution. So, you know, uh, Microsoft has always had this dream of these universal apps. So it's the same underlying kind of uh, code that's powering the app, but the f- the front end kind of adapts itself responsively to whichever device you're on. The hardware, etc., isn't quite there yet. But I like that idea, right? That instead of carrying around a laptop and a tablet and a phone and having my desktop at home, etc., I've just got this one device with me all the time and the nearest screen and interface becomes whatever I need it to be in that situation. So maybe yeah. you've got something you carry around that looks like a laptop but that uses the phone's processing. Um, and maybe you... You know, and I also see this as a sort of like a... Um a survival tactic for Microsoft, which I think is clever. I mean, to, to use an, uh, an example I touched on earlier with Telcom, I mean, Microsoft to me is one of those really boring, but huge, basically ubiquitous uh, software firms that you just cannot ignore. You, it's popular to sort of harp on about how you know slow they are on the uptake and all the rest of it, but you just cannot ignore their footprint. You cannot ignore how... Um, uh, 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 I don't want to say slavishly, but how loyal Windows users are around the world, uh, PC, PC and laptop users, and how uh, 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 
reliant we've become on really simple things like Word and Excel and stuff like that. Now, if you're giving people an opportunity to 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 go mobile with that stuff, and, and basically this to me this is Microsoft ensuring its ongoing relevance and participation in the mobile first environment. You know, going forward, to me that's how I see it. I don't see it more as um, oh, this is going to change your life. It's gonna it's gonna like. Forget Android. It's this is this is us revolutioning, you know, revolutionizing your life. I think this is Microsoft taking steps to become as ubiquitous in in mobile as say Android is. And to me, it's it's what there's been a lost opportunity. And as far as Android um, taking steps to to go beyond mobile and 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 add value in a different direction. I know they're they're Android, you know, uh, computer boxes and things like that. And but I I don't feel they've 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 done enough to 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 get someone who say on a Windows uh, uh, ecosystem to dump Windows entirely and go Android. You mm. know, yeah. I yeah, mean, I agree you, with you there. Unfortunately, Windows Phone has has just absolutely backfired as a strategy. Um, the acquisition of Nokia and the little bit of head of steam that Microsoft has built up has all been obliterated. <laughs> um, and yeah, I say unfortunate because I feel like we really do need a strong third player in this race. Um, it's just it, things are too dominated the now other two, by Android and iOS. Samsung, Apple. Oh, okay. No, yeah. So, so we've got lots of manufacturers, but um, but but I I mean, in terms of the ecosystems, the there's really nothing the outside of Android and iOS okay. to talk of. Operating systems. Fair enough. Just mm. on a it's on true. a side note, is Linux phone a thing? Yes. So, well, I mean, Android is li- is Linux, so so that's <laughs> a very yes. Simon would say that because you just adopt everything, right? Come on, <laughs> what Linux Linux phone? Come on. But um, but of course, Ubuntu has um, has has a phone implementation, and um, I'm trying to remember, was it Unity or they had this idea that you know you would you would kind of have this very fluid. Um, experience in going from phone to tablet to kind of desktop environments. Um, and Mark Shuttleworth, you know, he, he really tried to get, because it's all about inspiring developers, right? There's nothing wrong with Windows Phone as an operating system. It's got arguably the best interface for any mobile operating system. It's beautiful. Um, you know, all of the development tools and SDKs and everything is there. But for example, Google refuses to do anything on it. So, you know, getting your Gmail on it used to be a nightmare, for example. You, using Google Calendar, it's like good luck. <laughs> um, so if the developers mm. don't use it, then it doesn't matter. So, you know, Ubuntu uh, has got this amazing uh, multiple device kind of um, strategy and, and, and a lot of great uh, development that's been done into the operating system. But without developers going, okay, we're going to do our app or our system for this, it's kind of dead on arrival. And I sympathize with developers as well because that's my world and, and I know how much time and, and, and energy it takes to 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 push out a new native app you know unfortunately none of these sdks and frameworks for rolling out um common code to to multiple operating systems it just doesn't deliver good user experience and it's not the way that that you should do things and so you know if i look at my last company curve for example you know we we had uh, it, it 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 took a big team to push out an ios app properly and to add Android, you know, we needed a dedicated Android team working on that. So to then go, okay, well, we're going to take a bet on a Windows phone or a Ubuntu. And we're now going to hire like two people, um, get one of our designers to focus on this new platform, etc. Uh, and spend six months doing this at least. 
and then supporting it uh, at infinitum that's a pretty big commitment to expect developers to take especially startups that that are already running lean um, and are already taking some big risks so I, I don't know how an ubuntu or a windows windows phone kind of manages to to get where they need to be in terms of captivating hearts and minds in the development community let me also ask then and i think that's sorry and delay go yeah, for it go cool. for it Oh, so uh, what I was going to say is, isn't that where like the manufacturers now come in in the storytelling aspect of, you know, that whole uh, uh, thing that you... We're back there. Because I mean, we're we're back there in a sense, because I mean, as a consumer, I'm told a story. I Half the people don't understand, well, iOS and and look, most people just into Apple (laughs) or into Samsung or you get get what I'm saying? Like, look, Android, as far as I'm concerned, has also done a good, they've done a good job in as far as selling the story about Android, whatever that means to like the average person. Mm. But I mean, I think it's also got to do with what the, the, you know, the commercial interests of these massive, uh, really in some cases, almost monopolistic players in, in the, in the manufacturer space. Yeah. Allow us to want or, or sell us. Really. Mm. It's kind <laughs> of a chicken or egg sort of thing. You know, it's like, you're not going to go to a new social network until all your friends are there. Um, but you know, without, without you going there you know it's it's you you kind of it's this it's this systematic game that gets played it's it's sort of you know on the one on the one end you've got users flocking to the service which makes it more lucrative for developers who then make the apps that make it more um, appealing to the users and you know you're kind of playing this balancing <laughs> act between more users coming to the platform and that sparking more development that sparks more users and hopefully snowballing for you but I, you know, if I was head of, of, of developer relations at Ubuntu, I honestly don't know what my strategy would be to try and get more developers to embrace what is a fantastic piece of technology and a great story. <laughs> um, and just bring us the yeah. software we need yeah. to pull it off. So I think Microsoft yeah. is, is, um, is doing a lot right at the moment. Um, you know, Rob, we were talking about how awesome the new, uh, uh, Surface Studio is. Um, yeah. I still lust after that thing. And I've also been looking at like this. I haven't tried that. Have you guys tried that? I haven't, I haven't played, played with it. it I haven't tried it. It looks good. It looks very good. And I've been looking at like the, you know, the Surface Pro tablets as well. Unfortunately, Microsoft doesn't have these things anywhere in Africa officially. So you have to get them from third parties, which also isn't ideal. Um, you don't want to gray import Ooh. things. <laughs> Sorry, Andila, you were saying something there, and I think Skype gave it on my side. Oh, yes. I said boo. I thought it got stuck, and you were like <laughs> on the verge of saying something. <laughs> that, like, <laughs> no, no. what does your setup look like, Andila? What do you compute on? Because I'm, I'm, I'm kind of coming to the end of life with my um, trusty MacBook that served me well for years. Me too. Uh, I'm sad. And, and 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 the answer used to be buy another MacBook. It's not that obvious anymore, is it? No, it it isn't. But look to me, really, if you're um, if you are like a a, a, a power, what would you call them, a power user? Yeah. Like if you're doing tons of editing, or like media work, editing, and that kind of stuff, and you need a laptop, really, I'd, I can't, I can't, I can't tell you anything's better than than Apple. And this is coming from someone who wasn't an Apple fan until he got one because <laughs> everything else had failed him. I mean, I'd had i sevens and and the rest. Um, you know, so I had, I had good computers. I had a Toshiba before this, which was re- reasonably good, but, um, I'm on a MacBook pro. I'm on the, the latest one before the one that's kind of made all of us wish we, <laughs> we'd held off for the new one. Yeah. Um, but I'm, what I, 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 I got it actually, uh, interesting story. 
my wife finds it for like 17 grand on the Incredible Connection site. Yeah. So I, buy, I say, buy that thing. Buy it now. <laughs> and then I call them. And they're like, oh, sorry, sir, there was a mistake on the thing. I was like, mistake? What mistake? I need that machine. And I got... <laughs> so, yeah, I got a 48 grand machine for 17 grand. Nice. Oh, jealous. Jealous, jealous. Yeah. Teach nice. us your ways. Yeah, that's what I'm learning. Yeah, I'm but learning. then they changed it right away. As soon as I... So, so I, I got my wife. So I said, buy it right now. And then I, I called them to be like... To like check delivery. <laughs> like, when are we getting it? Because I ordered it. I needed it rushed. And they were like, oh, we see that there was a mistake here. I was like, well, that's okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that works for me. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's the first. The first yeah. So, that, I'm on a Mac setup, basically. Um, I run an iRig mic. And, yeah, really, for, for everything I do on the run, I can't, I can't imagine going back to a PC setup. Yo, I just cannot. A Windows mm. situation. Oh, my word. <laughs> no, me neither. <laughs> No, I couldn't. And not and I'm not even being a snob about it. I hate that snobbery. I'm not an early adopter for anything. I'm not a fanboy. It's just really um yeah, like the 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 experience my experience in terms of everything I need to do from from editing video and 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 audio and everything I have to do in between. I I just ne have never experienced this much value from a, a laptop. If I was building a especially a machine, in your like case when you got twice or no, three times the amount of value you were supposed to. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no, I cannot hate. I cannot hate whatsoever, you know. And uh, I've since bought an iPhone. I've got a 5S, nothing nothing fancy there. But um, everything seems to be working together. It's just annoying transferring data. And I, I miss SD cards and stuff. But other than that, yeah, I think I'm happy. Well, let me se segue that conversation back into the Microsoft ARM chips that they're working on um, yeah. to put full windows on your phone. Let's go back to what we were talking about in the very first podcast with Tim and his comments of who would still own a PC in this day and age. I mean, come on, it's stupid. Now, yeah. Microsoft are putting full windows on a phone. Do you think maybe their long end game, and Bill is looking past desktops as well in terms of if you get to work, because I mean, Microsoft will continue to predominate the you know office workplace market. Get to work, take your phone out of your pocket, which is running Windows 10, and then just you know, screencast it onto your screen and have a wireless keyboard and mouse and off you go. Yeah, I mean, we've seen these experiments yeah. before. Motorola, um, what was their device? It was, I want to say, like, Attics or whatever. Some, definitely somebody listening is shouting out the, the, <laughs> the name now going. But, but, but Motorola had these devices, um, you know, a number of years ago. They actually sent me one to play with. And there was a dock that you could plug into a big screen and a keyboard that you'd keep on your desk. Oh, and there yes. was a, a, a laptop this. shell you could slide it into as well. Yep, and this Motorola that. Android phone would become like a, a, a laptop or a desktop, depending on the situation. Um, and, uh, and you know, that, that's kind of been the holy grail for personal computing for a while. It's just been, you know, A, the operating systems not being there yet. Uh, B, obviously, the hardware. That's probably the biggest factor yeah um and then also developers just not embracing these things every time microsoft I mean, the, goes you really should be doing universal apps etc yeah. but i mean there, there will have to be as you say the convergence of enough computing power to run windows 10 fully in my pockets then with enough additional power to run all the you know if i want to run a photoshop or um, a high-end program to be able to run that but it's going to happen at some stage at some point yeah, in the future yeah, yeah. someone's going to get it right and that's going to change everything you know, Apple gets a lot of hate for Tim Cook's post-PC era um, suggestions. But let me tell you, when you when you actually From sit me. down with the iPad Pro, 
uh, and you and you go, okay, instead of just slating and, and sticking to the way I used to do things, let me force myself to rethink some of my workflows and look at what's out there and how far I could get on this device. Like there are, there is some pretty decent video editing software there. Companies like Adobe are starting to now push out the kind of high-end tablet apps that we've been waiting for. You can design front ends. You can edit photographs pretty spectacularly. You can record podcasts and edit them on, on digital audio workstations on an iPad Pro. It's, it's still more expensive than it should be for what it is. But I'm, I'm on the cusp of going, you know what? Let, let's see what this is like. Cause, you know, it's, it's clear that Mac OS is kind of this intermediary thing that Apple almost has to support while they work on the future, which to them is iOS. Um, and, and, you know, their, their, their processes like the A9X, which just packs, you know, so much power into such an efficient tiny unit. Um, and I'm I I I, I want to do this experiment now. I'm like, especially that I'm so um, underwhelmed with the, or as Craig Wilson said last week, whelmed uh, with the new MacBooks. Um, <laughs> I actually want to do this experiment. I want to get an iPad Pro, and I want to go. Okay, I'm going to force myself on my next big trip where I have to record podcasts and do stuff on the go. I'm just going to take this device with me, and I'm going to see how long, how or how far I get. Well, I tell you what, I'm considering. You were asking earlier about what we're going to do post lap top post macbook pro era because i'm not coughing up for one of those new ones i can tell tim cook that right fucking now until he makes it a hell of a lot better but <laughs> here's what i'm considering i'm considering once this beautiful gorgeous 2012 that i've upgraded i got 16 gigs of ram in here i got a terabyte of hard drive space in here it still hums once this dies i'm going to go back to a high-end custom built windows desktop machine and yeah. i'm going to give it a go in a post-laptop world and just carry a tablet around. I'm thinking yeah. that might be a good way to go. Do you know that? I, I mean, I would, I would totally agree with that. Um, you know, if, if you need a mobile solution, in, in other words, if you need a laptop to get what you need done, I, I, I can't, I, I could personally tell you that you won't do anything better than what Mac puts out there into, if, you're, if you're a super user. But if you're in a position to build your own machine, Please, if I if I had the if I if I if that if that's what my needs required, I certainly wouldn't go Mac. Yeah, well, you wouldn't be able to. Um, you'd have to build a Hackintosh, and <laughs> oh yeah, I'd have to build a Hackintosh. <laughs> You're absolutely right, but there's there's no way, um, the, you know, there's nothing that beats. I feel like a, a, a Windows ecosystem, and as far as being able to sort of tailor your own your yeah. own uh, environment for a desktop, I, I don't. They haven't done that but yet. There are yeah. certain apps in my life that are unfortunately Apple only that I'm going to have to learn to, you know, even if I build that. Like which ones, um, Rob? Like which ones? I use a lot of Logic Pro, for example, which I can't get. Logic, you know, yeah. um, I yeah, use yeah. a lot of. There, there are certain things that I, I need that work better in those kind of environments, but I appreciate that from an audio and sound point of view, I'm a specific type of user. And I could ignore Logic and go to Ableton, for example, or go to something else. So there yeah. are options. I just like that particular program. Um, and when you've, you've built up the muscle memory yes, too, you know? Yes, exactly. You've committed all those shortcut mm. keys. Um, and that's an important mm, point that's an, because that's part, of the, that's part of the challenge that technologists face is – um, you're dealing with people who are used to clackety-clack mechanical keyboards and they hate these new keyboards that you're giving them that have no um, 
that have no travel on the keys. But then you look at like your average 13 year old today and they're like, what are you talking about, grandpa? Like, who gives a shit? I'll type on my on screen keyboard. You know, like, dare you make me actually press something? Yeah, they're not even thinking about that. So, like, you know, you've got, (laughs) you've got old dudes like complaining about keyboard travel while if you know what you're doing, if you're Apple or Microsoft or whoever, you're focusing on the guys who are going to be your customer five years from now who are coming out of high school now and they don't give a crap about key travel. They don't even know what that means. I'll tell you what I still miss, guys. The delete key, though. Guys, come now. <laughs> like, why don't we have a delete key? Like, nah, I miss why that. Why do I have to hold down a function that. key to delete the... God damn it. Nah, dude. Why, when I, I was your age, key. we had a button for delete, and I just pushed that, and I saw the letters disappearing from my screen. <laughs> from my screen. I don't want a function involved. <laughs> I got well, enough I'll functions. If you get uh-huh. the new MacBook Pro, you're still going to have to press the function screen because your touch bar will be full of fucking emoji. Oh, I can't wait. No, you will. It still looks you cool. Will. Oh. It still looks cool. You'll need the emoji to press bar. keys to change the bar. I mean, I mean love you guys. Like, now I press function, you know, and it's two key presses. I'm going to have to press something to change the touch bar. To Don't what hate I on the emoji want. bar. It's beautiful. Simon, I'm hating the emoji bar so much. I can't tell you. <laughs> if they'd made it, if they'd made it touch screen and took the stupid bar away, I'd have been in. I'd have been sold. I'd have been their biggest uh, cheerleader. Yeah. I wonder what a 15-year-old thinks of that product. I really do. They, they I wonder, like, because I'm sure that the market, the market research on that thing must have been insane. Like, you, you, you think maybe it's something that totally resonates yeah. with, with uh, you know. With the, the next generation, and we're so we're totally. Oblivious. I feel like asking fifteen-year-olds about having an emoji bar is unfair on the rest of us. Yeah, I mean, I remember, you know, my my parents were touch typists um, because you kind of had to be on typewriters, and and you know, then with the first PCs. Um, but I, you know, I look at those little bumps on the F and J key on my laptop, and I'm like, you know, that's 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 pretty anachronistic. Um, even I, you know, even in, in so much as I touch type. I'm still looking down at the keyboard all the time. Uh, I think I we're do. kind of Me in too. that in-between Me period. Too. So I think you're right. Apple's gone. You know what? Like, if <laughs> if you grew up with IBM typewriters, sorry for you, but we're going to move on now. <laughs> we're going to make keyboards that yeah, you actually yeah. look down at, uh, and I'm okay with that. Yeah, and I mean, even with the ear, with the earphone thing, the the no ear jack thing. I mean, I can't stand it, but I. I can't help thinking like people are going to look back and go, why, why the heck would you like, why did you, why did you think it was even okay <laughs> to like have cables or, you know, how did you go jogging? Dad, like, how'd you do that? Yeah. Dad? Like, what the heck? Yeah, yeah. You know, so I don't know. It might be one of those things. And our batteries lasted for three weeks and we decided that wasn't good enough. So a man by the name of Steve Jobs made one that lasted for two hours. And we thought that was much better. <laughs> oh, wonderful. <laughs> I'll be like, wonderful. oh, dad, you're crazy, man. <laughs> what the heck? The funniest stories. <laughs> so so sad. There's a lot about today's world that oh, I think I... Uh, our kids are going to look back on and go, "What the heck was up with that?" <laughs> yeah, very very. Yeah, much so. look, my wife's convinced that they're going to our kids are going to look back and say, "You used microwave ovens? Are you guys nuts?" What do you think they? Do you know what those things do? <laughs> what What are they going to think about Snap Spectacles, Snapscan, or Snapchat? spectacles no like that that will never live down. <laughs> like oh my god look at what i found in dad's closet can you believe <laughs> that somebody actually paid money for these cool. <laughs> and i suppose i think the appeal of those things to be honest is is the corniness there's a like there's like a corny is cool thing that i mean i i mean i was at church last week and and, and with all the rage with kids like uh, you know uh, 
15 and younger is getting braces. Could you believe it? Like in all these colors. Apparently so cool <laughs> I want right braces now. braces too. Well, you know. Do, but do you know what I mean? Like there's something, there's something um, rid- ridiculously cool about being corny now in this in this time and age we live in, that definitely wasn't the case. I mean, being you had to be cool to be cool when I was. Going, yeah, you, know, yeah. You, you couldn't. <laughs> Although we did have, you couldn't be cool. You know, we did have like uh, MC Hammer pants and uh, crisscross wearing their jeans backwards. But they were cool. They were like, <laughs> I don't think you wore them and thought I'm I'm corny right now. Like I'm being <laughs> oh, no, you're so. Right. It was serious. So off you the were wall too legit right now. to quit. That's what you were. It was serious. <laughs> you were legit. That's the thing. Right now, being legit is like being so corny and having. You get what I'm saying? Like Corny's cool. I mean, even how the beards came in, uh, you know, yeah. like the the the, the sort of uh, the, the the beards that are all the rage right now. I mean, it was Corny. It was like Farmer Jack. All of a sudden, you know? all of a sudden, a lot of technology that we're dealing with today makes a lot of sense. Maybe exploding phones is a feature. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe, like for the first for the fourth of July, <laughs> or, or Guy Fawkes. Oh man, yeah. what a time to be alive. All right, guys, do we want to talk about um, Data Must Fall? (laughs) We might get too serious again. Or do we want to talk about anti-terrorism efforts at social networks? I'm a bit scared of that topic. (laughs) I want to talk about YouTube. Okay, let's talk about YouTube. Yeah, that sounds better. I want to talk about music and money and how, you know, damn the man, down with the man. Artists must, you know, I don't know. It's a kind of a tricky <laughs> time to be an artist, right? Um, yeah. So, so the story so we're alluding to is um, Google announced, or, or its division of Alphabet, I suppose, YouTube announced a $1 billion payout to musicians. And the industry body, the IFPI, came out and said, well, that's nothing, guys. You're the biggest online streaming service in the world. You have hundreds of millions of users um, that are all using YouTube so they can listen to music without paying a damn cent. And you're going to give us a billion dollars to compensate us? <laughs> What's going on no. here? I mean, it's not fair. I agree with them. These are the content creators that are generating money for you. Pay them, YouTube. Pay so I'm them. going to disagree with you, Rob. And I'm going to say that actually the music industry hasn't changed that much in terms of how you make money. Because the way you've made money as an artist, and this is true forever, even before we had a recording industry, is you tour. You do shows. That's how you make money. Like uh, even look, if you're, that's, that's still the primary it, source of income, though, for any artist in the world today. Exactly. Tours are a thing because all the other money is dried up. And look, I think you and I need to agree to let's take labels out of this and put artists on one side. Because if I, in my bedroom, write a dope song and I record a music video with my friend who's a cinematography major and we put the video on and we get a hundred million views on that video and YouTube makes a hell of a lot of money. I think we deserve some compensation. I agree with you if you want to talk labels and what they've done for the music industry, down with those people. Um, But I feel like the, the creators of the content themselves, not the license holders of the content, the creators of the content should get paid. But don't you feel like it's, you know, mm-hmm. I, yeah, go for it, Andile. Mm-hmm. Sorry. I, I mean, I had a chat with a lady named uh, Milena Tayeb um, of Believe Digital Studios, the, the, front, the, the French-based uh, distributor. I think, they were, I, I think right now I stand to be corrected, but they could be the world's biggest um, distributor uh, for, for digital content for, for independence, right, in the world. And uh, she specializes on the video side. And I would have loved to ask her this question, you know, know, to have her in on this discussion. But there's something she shared with me when we had this conversation. We had a a similar conversation some weeks ago. Um, She burst this little bubble I'd always held. You know, this idea that YouTube is this platform that that helps little old me express myself, reach an audience, develop an audience. YouTube is is a business platform. 
right? First and foremost, before it's anything else, um, to see it as anything else doesn't serve you as an artist or, or uh, is not a pragmatic view. And I, and I'm, I, I hadn't seen Facebook that way um, up until maybe a year ago or two. Um, I, and I certainly hadn't thought of YouTube in that way because they've, they've done this really good job of allowing the community that, that um, you know, takes such pride in, in publishing content on there. Uh, they, they, they've, they've really enabled that community to sort of, you know, take pride in being YouTubers and that kind of thing. And, and really behind that veil is a massive business platform, which really exists for the sole purpose of making money for, for Alphabet and yeah, nothing else. For sure. And, and if you take that, if you take that view as an artist, I mean, you'll approach your, your, you know, the content creation uh, life cycle or your, your, your sort of your, the business of creating content you hope to monetize, you'll look at it totally differently. Yeah. I mean, it's it's not random how, um, you know, it, it's the, the, the content we end up discovering, quote-unquote discovering on YouTube isn't random. It is a very, uh, yeah, it's a very business-driven platform designed to monetize our time spent on that but platform. As well, it should be, right? So, Otherwise, and, and it I mean, wouldn't and exist. I feel like, yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah, and I feel like you need to be clear about that before you you sort of complain, um, because there's nothing stopping anybody creating platforms of their own and bringing the audiences directly to them. And YouTube is like, if you want to do that, go ahead. Yeah. Well, so the IFPI said, sorry, um, with 800 million music users worldwide, YouTube's generating revenues of just over one dollar per user for the year. <laughs> they compared that to Spotify, which paid record labels two billion dollars, but of course Spotify has a lot less users, so that came to about eighteen dollars per user, which to me still doesn't feel like a lot. <laughs> but one dollar no. per user per year is like, why are you wasting your time? Yeah, I mean, I would love to know. If you took the total cumulative advertising revenue generated by watching music-based content on YouTube over a 365-day period, what that number would be versus what they paid out. Yeah, that's a good question, right? But, I you mean, know, there, there we yeah. can get an actual look at, you know, is a billion dollars worthwhile? And a billion dollars is not worthwhile for all the music content that's on YouTube. Um, but I, w I would love to know what fraction of a percentage point they're giving away. But then there's still the subjective issue, Rob, of suppose you know that number, how much do you feel as an artist you should be entitled to on, on principle? Well, I think that, and isn't that a subjective yeah, no, debate? No, it would have to be, but I think that's it at least gives you a, a basis point to then have subjective arguments about. I feel like, like you, you can have a subjective debate around one fact. Once you have subjective debates around zero facts – then it becomes a little difficult to ever come out to the conclusion on the other end. If I go, listen, this is the amount of money we're talking about. What do you feel you are owed? Then we can at least have a conversation that might get somewhere. That's true. But to compare the, 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 I mean, the, the music streaming guys, I mean, the, the, the power dynamic is totally different. The, the extent to which they need like the majors on board with them, yeah. the, the, the signed artists, and as well as the independents. I mean, the power dynamic between um, the content producers by and large, in this case, like the labels and, and a streaming platform like Spotify, for example, is totally different to the power relationship that, say, a YouTube has with Andile, who, quite frankly, again, if you hate what we're doing here and allowing you to do it for free, then, you know, create a site, um, <laughs> buy a tool that allows you to, yeah. to draw the traffic on your end yeah. and, and good luck. Yeah, exactly yeah. that. That's true. So, good luck. That's true. 
Yeah, and and for me, and and this is not me backing Google as much as, and the Data Must Fall campaign also comes in as far as this is concerned as well, where I was like, guys, I got a whole, I I was on Morning Live discussing this, and I got such flack for basically trying to point out to people that mobile telcos are not here for us, guys. They're just not. Like, stop trying to expect them to do what... um, What, you know, huge corporate investors don't get out of bed to do. They're here to maximize investment and, they know, and, they've, and they've worked out the numbers. They've also, if, if you want any change, you want to see any change, you'll need to push it at a sort of legislative level, yeah. which I think ironically is exactly what would need to happen with a Google um, or with a YouTube if, if people want to see a red cent more than they're getting right now. They'd have to push for it on a, they'd have to lobby government. Yeah, I mean, basically. you would have to go that kind of route. Um, Simply because I don't know if you saw the very irritating bitching session on Twitter yesterday. Um, Test Kitchen put up prices if you want to come and have lunch. And it was 12 people at 2,000 rand a head plus an additional 20 grand venue hire. Plus an, plus an additional 30 if you wanted Luke Dale there himself to serve you and talk to all your guests and so on and so forth. And everyone sure. lost their shit on Twitter. They were like, oh my God, how can Test Kitchen charge 2,000 rand a head? Okay, well, they're a really good restaurant, so we kind of understand that. How dare they then make us pay 20 grand for the venue hire? And I was like, it's Luke's fucking restaurant. Luke can charge whatever he wants. <laughs> he can charge you whatever he wants. You, you, you don't, don't have you to eat there. at McDonald's. Yeah, <laughs> shut up. If you don't like it, shut up. Like Luke can charge what Luke Chicken wants to charge. for you, yeah. buddy. I mean, you do you and let Luke do Luke and don't worry about each other. Yeah. But I think the problem with yeah, the YouTube is um, a lot of music ends up there without the artist having any say or control over it. Um, yes. Now there, there, my friend. Now there, that's a... There you've hit yeah, the, that's, you've sort of hit a, a sore That's point. a discussion yeah, we can have. So if I am Beyonce and I have the Beyonce channel on YouTube and that is where Beyonce videos live, um, yeah. that's a different story to I upload a video and then 50 million other copies of the same video are uploaded. And, you know, yeah, I mean, yeah. yes, these people do push a billion views and so on and so forth, but they would be higher. Yeah. And that's what I, I love yeah. about this kind of content is if we're, if, you know, from the get go, if we wanted to make money from podcasting, it wouldn't be a discussion about the endpoints because, I mean, the first podcast I made, uh, we had done three episodes and already there were torrents for it, which is great for us for distribution. It means we don't have to pay for bandwidth to worry about how people get it. But yeah. we very quickly had to come mm-hmm. up with solutions like mm-hmm. if we're going to make money from this, guys, then however we make money needs to be part of the content. You know, it's like, we have yeah. to put the ad yeah. in the content in such a way that it can't easily be removed and that wherever the content goes, the advertising and our means of revenue will go with it. And unfortunately, you know, if you're a TV show, that's kind of easy because you do placed advertising and every time somebody lifts a can of Coke in like, you know, a TV series, you know that, that there's a reason they're doing it. But yes. ka-ching. <laughs> ka-ching, yeah, with every sip. And, and that's how it works podcast in brought podcasting. You there you go. <laughs> that tech show brought to you by. Oh, and Telcom earlier, and and yeah. else. But uh, but if you're a musician, what do you do? Um, you're not gonna you know you're not gonna work uh, a brand into your lyrics. It's art. It needs to be authentic. Uh, you're not gonna have an ad before a song. You like so so you really all you can do is go. Well, okay, fuck it. I'm just gonna let my music go wherever my music goes, and and use that as a way to sell live shows. And I think what was interesting was um, there's a company I can't remember the name. 
Uh, we'll put it in the show notes if I can look it up. But there's a company that um, – I always say that and then I never put anything in the show notes. But anyway, what they do is they, they track they track uh, downloads on piracy services, um, you know, like the Pirate Bay, et cetera. So they, they aggregate what's happening in the world of content piracy. And they'll, they're the guys who will at the end of every year go, you know, Game of Thrones was the most pirated TV show this year or this piece, this song was the most downloaded. Right. Yeah. And, and they make that data available to third parties. Now, one of their biggest customers – is Iron Maiden. And what Iron Maiden does as a band, as a business, is they go, okay, guys, where are people pirating our music the most? And then they plan their tour dates to those places, right? <laughs> so, like, there's their places in South America and, like, Chile and Peru and whatever, they had no idea that they had massive fan bases there until they started looking at the data and going, oh, my God, like, these guys are pirating the we hell out of our music. That's where wow. we should go and tour. And they're making a killing doing that. Of course, it also That's helps that their lead singer, Bruce Dickinson, and can fly the plane himself and they can logistically yeah. pull off what other bands can't but <laughs> but but the hustle required but, but simon that to me is exactly what i think um uh, content creators media makers have to put on the, i don't care if you're a musician or what or or, or or an artist you should you know you you're stringing vines together i don't care what it is you think you do you're a media maker in the 21st century in the modern day you have to realize that it's not business as usual you can't want the best of of the 90s and as far as the deals Mariah Carey and Michael Jackson used to get and the very best of what, you know, labels used to deliver and the upfront uh, sort of, uh, you know, the upfront sort of uh, cash dashes you used to get and all the sort of support and free distribution online and be paid a pretty penny by YouTube. YouTube is like, homie, this is the new way of doing business. And you're talking, you're speaking to, um, you're speaking to clever ways that quite frankly, anybody who's serious about their craft. If you're going to make music your life, right, you need to realize that you can't leverage, there's certain things you can't leverage Facebook to do for you, you know, in terms of monetizing your content. There are things you can't expect, uh, there's value you can't expect a YouTube to deliver because they're on a different hustle. They're not here for you. Yeah. I'll tell you what, here's, here's where I'm looking at the whole thing. I mean, YouTube is a fantastic platform to get your message out as an artist, Right. More people will see it, the more popular it becomes. Um, There's a chance people would come to gigs who weren't normally convinced or might buy a bunch of songs or stream a bunch of your songs more often, etc., etc. So YouTube can turn around and go, listen, we're doing good things for your exposure. Um, Mm. By the same token, artists can turn around and go, we're creating the shit that is popular, making you a fortune. And both sides have their points, but somewhere in the middle – there is a line where there has to be a conversation around that line. We can't have both halves sitting going, this is my interest purely and screw, screw you. Or you. You need to meet like everything on the planet, like politics, like money, like whatever. There's the line in the middle and people sit on the one end or the other and shout across. And, you know, nobody's walking down the middle and going, hey, you come over here. Come over here. Let's have a conversation. Rob Forbes, the voice of reason. The voice of reason. <laughs> <laughs> the voice of reason. All right. <laughs> no, but that's exactly it. I mean, you, that, we have to chat. Let's let's call them up and see if we can't do we can't do coffee. In fact, yeah. I'm, I'm I'm willing to host the CEO of Alphabet and Jay Z if they'd like to get together and talk. Yeah. About, I'm, yeah, I'm willing, that's, I'm willing that's to so mediate that conversation. Week. Let's do it. Oh man, that's so happening next week, buddy. I'll be I'll be happy with being a fly on the wall. All right, you know what? I could carry on talking about this all day because it's a fascinating topic, but then I could also carry on talking about Bitcoin all day. But I need to let you gentlemen go at some point. (laughs) So, Oh, it's been a blast, though. Yeah, it's been been fun. fun. 
We need to do this again. You know what? Let's do mm. our one more thing. So what we do, Andile, and I'm going to just bring yeah. this on you, is yeah. uh, we leave the show with, with each one of us picking a one more thing. It can be a product you've discovered lately that you've fallen in love with or something you've thought of that we didn't cover on the show or whatever. And while you guys think about what mm-hmm. those things might be for you, um, I'm going to do why one more thing. Mm-hmm. I think I'm going to make Refly Editor, um, which is a new <laughs> word processor I found. Bear with me. Word processors have been invented already, um, but I like Refly for mm-hmm. because what they've done is they've reimagined what a word processor should be in 2016. So it's got all the stuff you'd expect, like you know, word count, etc. But it also um, has an SEO intelligence that, as you're typing, it's analyzing your text and suggesting SEO improvements, which is either disgusting or amazing, depending on why you're doing your writing. Um, but it also has other features, like it plugs into WordPress and it plugs into Medium and straight from this word processor on your desktop you can publish to your blog for example uh, which is really cool I also like that it's developed in India um, so it's not the usual west coast deal that we're used to whenever something new hits product hunt Um, but it's just a really cool uh, word processor it's in the early stages of development it gets better all the time Uh, it's got a great team developing it so you know it's it's early days they've launched a minimally viable product that crashes every now and then Um, the other thing I like about it I just remembered is um you can set goals. So you can say, I'm going to write like 500 words a day, for example. Um, and Refly will kind of nudge you to do that. And it's also got this tracking graph that will like show you whether or not you've been hitting your your targets, which I think if you're working on a book That's project neat. or something like is that. really cool. Yeah. So if you're looking for a different way to write, which I always am, I'm starting to get back into writing. I used to do a lot of it and then I stepped away for a while. Um, but check out Refly, R-E-F-L-Y. Um, their website is refly.it, refly it. Um, and, uh, and check it out, see what you think. I, I am a fan. There's, there's another great uh, word processor, actually, just to give it a quick shout-out, that was launched yesterday, um, which is just called IO. Um, and I, th- I yeah, actually, I'm not going to say that because I might get the developers wrong and then the other developers will be upset. But, uh, <laughs> don't don't do that, Simon. <laughs> it's interesting. We thought we had solved word processing, but there's always scope for improvement. Innovation. Hashtag yes. disruption. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. All right. All right. Yeah. All right. Roberto, do you have a one more thing this week? Well, my one more thing is, guess what? There's another music streaming service you can pay money for every month, and they'll unlock the world of personalized music content to you. Ooh, ooh tell me more. Per- Gas. Oh, I know, right? Um, <laughs> actually, though, it's Pandora Premium. So Pandora was around for ages, That's then right. got blown out of the water by the likes of Spotify and Apple Music and now Google Play and so on and so forth. Everyone seems to exist on this recommendation-based system of what other users who've been listening to similar songs also listen to. I was on Pandora when they were so far back in beta that they hadn't even locked down the, the geo rules yet. You know, back when it was still yeah, open and you could have it. I was too. Pandora does shit differently. So if you've never used it, you're listening to this, you don't know why it might be a thing. Instead of going, Simon listens to the new Beyonce album. People who listen to Beyonce also listen to the new uh, Rihanna. So thus, we will recommend Rihanna as the second tune in your playlist. First time I put a song into Pandora, which was a fairly niche song, it sort of thought about the song and then it told me, here are 12 reasons you like this song. It has a syncopated bass line. It is a minor key. It is this. It is that. It is that. You like the fact that it's on an off-time signature, etc., etc. And I'd identified automatically musical elements. Then of those 12, it would keep 11, change one of them, and give you another song. Yeah. And I've never 
I've never had a listening experience as interesting and diverse as Pandora delivers. All of the others, you know, I, yeah, I'm, I'm very rarely completely flabbergasted by the quality of the music that comes on if you're jumping down an Apple Music stream or a Spotify stream, for example. Pandora staggered me like every three songs. I'd be going, oh, my God, what is this? Where did you find it? Why has no one ever heard of it before? Because yeah. it was so good. So for $10 a month, it's coming in 2017. Pandora Premium might just be worth a look in if they yeah. haven't cocked it up and if they're still using that system. Well, it's called. The, it was the Music Genome Project that Pandora was born yes. from. And what yeah, I loved about the Music Genome incredible. Project was this idea that genres don't really help you. Because if you say, you know, I like hip hop. There's a very big difference between like 50 Cent and Tribe Called Quest and like Arrested Development, you know? So it's like yeah. you, just saying that I like hip hop isn't enough to find me new music that, that that's actually what I mean. And the Music Genome Project tried to go deeper and like analyze the bass riff, you know, analyze the BPM, analyze what's happening with the melodies and the vocals and try and match based on those flags instead yeah. of instead it, of It was an incredibly ambitious thing, but it worked. The other thing I love about this is that um, Pandora Premium is being built uh, on some of the good stuff that they got from the audio acquisition. I was a massive audio fan. I thought audio beat the pants off of Spotify, Apple Music, etc. It was it, the design was beautiful. It managed to do social in a way that the other apps haven't unlocked. You know, doing collaborative playlists and sharing music with friends was a lot more fun on audio. And so I'm hoping that Pan- never heard I'm of I'm hoping it. that Pandora Premium um, brings a lot of those awesome audio features and audio sense of design back to life because i really miss audio did audio go down well yeah they, they kind of had to admit defeat and and eventually um pandora acquired what was left of it um but uh, yeah they they kind of you know they 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 got to places like south africa before uh, spotify well spotify still not here but before apple music etc and and they managed to swoop up a lot of the world market that uh you know spotify still misses out on because I God think, knows why I they're think, not here yet, but yeah. And how's Deezer? How's Deezer doing? I think it's doing okay. I don't think it's doing any great shakes, simply because it's it's trying to be a local thing, and I think so much of the local content has now been picked up by the Apple Play stores and all of those. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There are also some interesting companies like uh, NicheStream um, that's uh, trying to to make streaming services, for example, for the Afrikaans music market in South Africa, which is mass- massive, or you know maybe the gospel market in South Africa, which is very big. Um, or um, actually surprised, uh, old Uncle Kwesit Nasbats hasn't done that already, like a streaming service for Afrikaans people, because that music culture is still very, very strong. Yeah, and it's yeah. not going anywhere. Yeah, it's interesting. This shame. Nasbers is just so at the moment. I don't know if they're trying to do anything outside of the box right now. Making money on the continent is proving a pretty tricky proposition indeed at the moment. Meanwhile, in Asia, they are printing it. So <laughs> quite literally. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Thank God for that investment. <laughs> they'd, they'd have been in serious trouble. They'd probably be a, a, a Kodak if it wasn't for that. Yeah. Okay, so Pandora Premium, 10 bucks a month. Looking, for, uh, You know, I hope it hits uh, the rest of the world. I hope they don't make the mistake that so many European and North American companies oh. make where they just assume there's no market outside of their own territory or that users there are so different that they won't understand I'm, or whatever yeah. their excuses are. Go I'm actually with this. so tired of that. 
I'm 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 willing to stop using companies who don't geographically unlock, you know, shit yeah. from my region. Fuck you. Look, actually. in this case, I do understand that a lot of work goes into content to licensing per territory, and it's actually yeah. the the you know the record labels etc. that make life difficult for them. So sometimes we are a little bit harder on yeah. the and the studios in the and the studios in ter- as far as like uh, video exactly. Yeah, and so it can be tricksy, but I hope they launch here along with everywhere else. Yeah, me too. Cool. Nice pick, Rob. What's your one more thing, Andile? So my one more thing is something far less snazzy. It's something called Hours Tracker. It's an app um, I found. Um, I'm not sure if they make it for Android, but I, I use the tracker. iOS version, the, the Apple version, Hours Tracker. Now, I started using it recently because I'm uh, involved with a project, uh, a MOOC, actually, that's being launched by... A Dutch, a Dutch firm that's that's got some grant oh, funding. There, exciting! Launching a MOOC. Yeah, yeah. So lots of I'm doing a lot of different things within the project, and I'm I'm also basically I've got a team of four other people that basically work with me doing everything from editing to writing. Then there's a production side where we shoot and everything. And I needed a a smart way to you know to track all the hours everyone's spending. And this app, of all the apps that I've ever used, all the tools I've ever used to basically track um, consulting hours has just proved the best. And I mean, it lets you, um, it lets you uh, 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 subcategorize per, per, per project, per sub-project. Um, you can tag stuff. You can, you, you can basically download uh, as PDF or um, into Excel or anything like that. So literally... Um, you, you can populate, you know, whatever you're using in terms of your, you know, your billing software. Um, you can you can grab content, you can grab uh, data out of this this app and, and basically feed it into that. You can forward it to your clients. I'll tell you what looks them. really interesting here is it'll geotag you as well. So if you walk into certain buildings, it'll know which client you're at and automatically start tagging time from there. That's very clever. It can start doing that. It is very clever. It is superbly clever. So again, Again, when you're when you're managing a team of people, people are meant to be in certain places. You can you can tell how long they've spent doing this and that. You know, a client meeting that took much longer than expected. Someone who flew to Cape Town for for a uh, for for a meeting that overshot. Or it's it's just brilliant. I just love it. Um, awesome. And it, and in terms of costing, you can put in the different rates per per. Per, per project you can you can cost different projects at different rates so depending if i'm writing or if i'm editing or if i'm in front of the camera or doing different things i build different rates all that kind of stuff awesome you know? yeah i'm looking at their so website now was, it's uh yeah that's hella smart i'm getting this one i think can export csvs are you gonna get that very cool yeah it exports csvs i mean straight into your excel spreadsheets and stuff it's just so good and i mean when i'm reporting to client because i mean you know when you when you do when you do stuff on grant funding they want every hour account yeah, yeah, yeah. for sure um so it just makes that so much simpler and it used to take me so much time when i when i took on projects like this just the admin around that took forever so it sounds ridiculous maybe if, you're, if you've never had to do this kind of work you you're thinking oh that's not much of a hack but i'm telling you when you actually get down to the to the to the actual uh, the, the admin of actually getting you know reporting on stuff like this, you realize how much time it takes. Awesome, good pick. Yeah. Hours tracker, love it. I kind of don't want to hang up on this call, I don't know guys. If it's available for Android. <laughs> it's been fun, eh? It's been fun. Can we just carry on doing this all day? It's been awesome. <laughs> I'm at a conference at the mm, moment, and this mm. conference I thought was fun, but uh, not. It's it's not competing well with this call right now. I've got to tell you. <laughs> <Ew>. <laughs> 
Yeah, I think you might need to go and uh, <clears throat> be present. Okay. Uh, go do some work, son. <laughs> Imagine. All right. Well, Adila Masuku, thank you so much for joining us, dude. Uh, we definitely need to do this again. Where can people find you online? Where's the best place to go and check out your world? Okay, so I'm on Facebook and Twitter. On Facebook, I'm andile.masugu. So it's facebook.com forward slash andile.masugu. On um, Instagram and Twitter, I'm at masugu andile. That's my name and surname backwards. And um, yeah, you can check out andilemasugu.com if you just want, you know, profile or whatever. I'm on LinkedIn as well. That's your thing. Uh, You know, find me there as well. And then, of course, the (laughs) africantechroundup.com africantechroundup.com uh, you'll find us on any good podcatcher iTunes Stitcher you know SoundCloud anywhere that matters Iono if you're into that um, yeah everything is available there we'd love we'd love for you to guys to listen in lovely well thanks I, for joining I us dude really yeah, appreciate it uh, absolute pleasure and Rob it's been a pleasure meeting you dude we just hear you on the radio <laughs> well I gotta head off there shortly again uh, yeah I'll let Simon yeah. wrap up um, if you want to get a hold of me though at Rob Forbes DJ on everything Twitter, Facebook, Instagram the whole lot um, mm. or Forbes at 5fm.co.za to get in touch or tune into 5fm yeah. every day around uh, around lunchtime Z and you will hear the Forbes yes talking <laughs> shit 1300 GMT plus two. All right, I'm at Simon Dingle. Uh, We'll be back. You know what? I think this will probably be our last episode for 2016. It's that time of year where people start taking off and doing other things. So uh, it's been great. We've done our our first three episodes. I think they've been crackers. And uh, we'll come back uh, next year with with something new. And and Andile, we must get you back, man. Thanks again. Uh, It's been fun as always. We're also on iTunes, SoundCloud, wherever. So if you're listening to this somewhere else and you haven't subscribed already then get with it and go and uh and subscribe and then by the power of the internet every new episode will just magically appear on a device that can put it in your ear holes it's amazing Magic. <laughs> <laughs> all right guys that's it for this episode goodbye thanks bye